Love Rise is supported by Bloom, an online community of support and tools for women finding their path through crisis and trauma. Soraya is one of my best friends and one of the coolest women I know. In fact, she's just recorded a new series of yoga for trauma on Bloom. She's my partner at the Bloom Retreat, which is so fun because she really understands trauma and crisis and how it affects our bodies and our minds. In these online classes, she walks us through willpower, reconnecting, and even winding down from those stressful, high-tension moments. Check it out on bloomforwomen.com. Today's story is gorgeous, but I want to let you know that there's a gut-wrenching and graphic moment of loss. So if any of you have struggled to have a child, tread lightly here. A couple of weeks ago, I walk into the Bloom office and I hear this wild, contagious laughter, which gives me this first impression of this rad lady who I met, and her name's Jessica. Anyway, I'm honored to share part of her story today, which begins with one of those unforgettable parts of life. Four years ago, she was pregnant with her first child. And looking at every baby thing and holding hands with my husband and talking about what ifs and how they'll be like and what she'll be like, what she'll look like and pouring over my baby photos and being like, oh, will she get my dimples? Will she get my eyes? And that's how I felt before my, before I had my stillbirth. I went home and I couldn't look in the mirror because I knew inside of my belly there was a dead baby. There is just something in you that just changes you. Like there was a heartbeat that was inside of you that stopped. Like I had death inside of me. It was inside of me for a moment in my life, and that changes you. So you get home and you can't look in the mirror. You know, you can't look in the mirror. Like I just, I couldn't even get out of bed because I knew like, like, like that's just, just the reality of it. You know, you have this, you want to be away from your body experience, you know, because it's just so hard to be part of something like that. You know, it's just hard. But, um, I really started hating my body for the first time ever in my life. I really started blaming my body. I was so mad I gained all this weight for nothing. I just was mad at myself and mad at my body, and it was, took a toll on me. I had all this anger towards myself. that I just couldn't let go. And then four months later, I got pregnant again. It wasn't on purpose. So the second pregnancy really takes a toll on Jessica. I mean, she struggles to stay healthy and is on constant bed rest. And then the depression sets in pretty heavily. And even though her body is pregnant, her heart is so scared. Getting ready to try to be 
willing to be vulnerable like that again because I want to have more kids is a scary thing. And to love something you could lose is really scary. So um, I don't like the way that sounds. I know. <laughs> but something it, – It's. I think it's a beautiful capability that um, I think a lot of children have are able to love with – no restriction, and I think it's wonderful. Why do we lose that? Where um, does it go? I don't really know why we lose it, but I do know a family where um, she has three children, and in between her last one, they had a child who they knew was going to die before the age of two. And she was, I was reading her blog. Like the baby was ill. Had ills. Mm -hmm. So the last like couple months they brought her home and they just try to live life as normal as possible. And she wrote, she said, I'm amazed how my children can just love her without any inhibitions, with no fear. Just love her, even though they know they're going to lose her. And it just struck me so hard. It was after the stillbirth and it just almost made me cry because that's where my vulnerability is. Like that's scary for me. There have been two pregnancies. One was stillborn, and the other, although incredibly difficult, you know, gave Jessica and her husband a darling little girl, whose name is Melia. They'd like another child, and so they begin to consult with doctors and try to figure out what's been going wrong. So I've had a lot of surgeries and a lot of doctor appointments to prepare me to say, okay, now you can start trying to have a baby. And so last year, that was, I got the go-ahead, you know. But there's just something holding her back. I was so scared out of my mind to have a baby, you know, like I didn't know how to put myself there. And like, what, what does that mean? Like scared out of your mind? Because Describe what's going on in your head. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose this baby any second. And then I'm going to lose myself. For two and a half years, I felt like a lot of the time I saw the four walls of my own home. I didn't really experience life. I mean, all of it was survival because I was on bed rest with Malia. Surgeries, C-section, a lot of pain, back pain, couldn't move, emotional, completely out of whack, stress mode. So I, so I couldn't really do a whole lot. So it was like, life's going to end. It's definitely vulnerable for me to be pregnant. In just a second. Yeah. So that's like you're talking about being pregnant makes you feel vulnerable. Yeah. And that's not like just a vulnerable moment. Mm-mm. It's like nine months of vulnerability. Yeah. If I can make it to nine months, but I don't think I'll ever be able to make it to nine months. That's what the doctors say. So so you you already know. I'll have a NICU baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll be in debt again. That's another small, small, minuscule thing, but, it, but it's we just heavy. got out of debt from Mealy and the other baby. So that's another thing, you don't, you know, I'm like, 
are you ready to do this? You know, we finally financially, you know, or, but it's worth it. So, um, that, so that's why I started going to therapy again. I said, I'm just ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of who I am. And my therapist, he was like, why, why? And I said, I, he's like, what do you mean by that? I said, if if I met someone who knew me before this incident and saw me now, I would be embarrassed. And I know that's wrong. He's like, you need to fix that. That's not right. And then he shared me page 62 in the Princess Bride book. Everyone thinks Princess Bride, it's hilarious, cute, funny, but there is a vivid and very profound moment in the book that gets looked past, and now it's my favorite. And it's where um, Buttercup becomes Buttercup, the Buttercup we all love, we know. So before Buttercup was Buttercup, she loved Wesley, and it was when she found out that Wesley supposedly was killed by the dread pirate Roberts. So it says that she goes in seclusion, and for weeks on end she's in seclusion she comes out um and says she's a little thinner a little sadder a little wiser and now she's the most beautiful woman in the world and it just hit me All of a sudden, this whole project just like came in my mind. All I wanted was to feel that. And I wanted a gallery of beautiful people that I could just look at. And they're beautiful because they have in their own way had been through a buttercup experience. I caught in contact with one of my friends who's a photographer before I even told my husband because it was just like scary for me. I was like, okay, I just have this really weird idea. Will you take my picture? And I want a picture of me feeling everything. I don't mean a happy, beautiful picture of myself because there was no camera there when I was screaming in the shower. There was no camera there when I threw my journal and tore pages or yelled on the top of my lungs. There's no camera there. I don't know how I look. And honestly, I'm ashamed of those parts of me. And I know that's in me. Or when I just dealt with so much, I couldn't get out of bed. But there's someone who was looking at me, and I believe in God, and I believe God was looking at me and saying, you're beautiful. My little girl, you're beautiful even now. And I need to feel that. You know, and you feel that, and I want to. I wanted to see that. So I said, "Okay, right, I'm going to listen to the song I haven't listened to years, and it's the song me and my husband listened to right before we delivered, walked to the hospital, and delivered our stillborn baby." And um, she came over. I took my makeup off. I got the courage to look right in the camera, which was so so scary in the end. I didn't realize it was, but that's vulnerable just looking at a camera lens. And I put the music on, and I let myself cry. 
and I didn't realize how moving it would be. Like something literally clicked in me when she clicked the camera lens. I, I faced that wall. I faced that vulnerability for the first time really and I real and I faced it in such a positive way that I realized it's not like I all of a sudden everything was better and I became I was like, Oh, I'm amazing person and life is good and everything but and I'm over over it. I'm never gonna be over it. But all of a sudden I realized I can be vulnerable again. And I think that's what this life and this healing process is. It's not about being, it is about being stronger, and it's, and, but it's not about avoiding it. It's not about avoiding being vulnerable again. It's about learning how to be vulnerable and saying, I can do it in a healthy, empowering way. And like, I realize I can love and lose again. Da, da, da. So I got the photos back and I was like, this is beautiful. And I put it on Facebook and then people just were like, I need this. And I just started speaking to people and I realized I need to reach out to more people, even for myself. I want to find those beautiful, I need to find that gallery, you know? As I was trying to find a name for this project, I know I wanted to go with beauty. There's so many, beauty is just such a generic word and a lot of people use it and I needed something honestly to be more unique and it just didn't feel like, I felt like I was missing something. So I was talking to someone and I was like, okay, we need something in like a different language that means beauty. And they said, what about Navajo? I was like, I don't know what the word for Navajo, like beauty is. They're like, well, it's Hojo. My name's Jessica Spee, and I am the founder of the Hojo Project. Wow, Hojo. Yes. So tell me what, of course, Hojo is kind of interesting. Yeah, I keep saying it all. Hojo. Hojo. I would have had a really hard time. I actually had to call a lot of people who are Navajo and be like, Tell me exactly how to say oh, it. Oh, really? So tell me about that. So it's Navajo, and it's the most beautiful word, supposedly, in the Navajo language. I wish I had more Navajo background in me, but my sister fostered two Navajo boys, and they kind of became part of our family for a little bit. So that's where our, like, introduction to the Navajo life. So I was like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to say it wrong. And... um my therapist, I'll be honest, <laughs> love therapy. Wow! Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to my therapist, Steve Smith. Anyways. <laughs> um, he loves the Navajo culture, and he does a lot of trips down there and everything. And so he was able to help me, too, be like, it's Hojo, not Hozo. Hojo. And it has, like, a gurgle to it, but I don't have to say it. Like, Let's try it. I don't know. I can't even go there. It's like the gurgling. Really? I don't know. I'm so we're, we're pronouncing it with too many like enunciations. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So if anyone is listening to this is Navajo and I'm saying it wrong, I'm really sorry. Fortunately, I have a friend who's Navajo and he was kind enough to 
give us a pronunciation of the proper way to say this word, which he says is more like a concept and pretty much the Navajo motto. Here's Matthew. It's pronounced Hojon. But, you know, um, this last year, I decided, so I'm from Arizona, and I decided I'm going to visit everything cool in Arizona. Cool. It was like the bucket list for me, right? Right, right. So, of course, we went up to Monument Valley, Navajo Nation. I've been wanting to do that. Oh, go. It was... um, Was it amazing? mm Mm-hmm. There's these two formations, these rock formations mm-hmm. that look like a left and right mitten. And when the sun rises and the, over the mittens, I just always wanted to see that. Yeah. And so we, we drive in and it's late at night. Somehow I always get to the camp spot at 11 the, o'clock at night. Okay. <laughs> and in the morning, the sun rose mm-hmm. and over the rocks and the mountains, and it's just this glorious, like, slow, gradual rising of the rose color. It was just stunning. Oh my gosh. So you need to go. Yeah. Anyway, I'm really fascinated also by Navajo stories. Yeah. And they had this great um, visitor center, Navajo Nation Visitor mm-hmm. Center. And um, they have these beautiful black and white portraits of women of the grandmothers. So they have these beautiful black and white photos of these very, you know, empowered looking women who stand strong with their weavings and their faces and it's so raw and beautiful. Rejon. Rejon. And it means not just beauty, it means wholeness and um, balance. There is this phrase, it's called walk in beauty, and it means hojo. And they supposedly, I don't know a lot about it, but it's like in this life we're on our journey and walking in beauty and coming to that completeness, which is hojo. And it's just, it's like a, it's a state of being. I really like that because I felt like a lot of these people who I'm meeting and even including myself are trying to relearn what beautiful means, especially in this world and this time and age, and also relearn what it means to us and becoming that and realizing like so much of our experiences has helped us become whole and complete. So this whole idea of beauty and pain and photos, raw photos, raw black and white photos, has turned into something. Hojo photo event. So they come to my parents' house, and it's very quiet and peaceful, and they um, they walk in, and they'll see a, a letter writing station, and they'll write a letter to themselves and it's a love letter to themselves. And um, they get called up one at a time to my upstairs to my sister's room that has a beautiful bay window. The sun's 
listening in. Um, and we, they, I ask everyone to bring an object or something, if it's a song or something that, that defines their most vulnerable moment in their life. We all hold on to those memorabilia, even though it's so hard, we don't want to forget for some reason, probably because it's like, I did that. I got through that, you know? And Jessica starts to ask them questions and talk to them and hear their stories. Slowly, our goal is for them to be brave enough to look at the camera. And that's really scary, I think, for most people. A lot of people, it's the first time sharing their story and they're Mm -hmm. looking on the ground. They can't even look at my eyes. It's really beautiful to see them have this moment where it's just about them. I don't think this is a phenomenal project, like it's going to change the world, but it's going to change someone. It's just another way to heal. That's, you know, there's so many different ways, and this is another way to heal. And it's a tangible experience, not just sharing your story. It's this event. It's taking this photo. And some of these people's, not just their stories, but their memorabilia they bring are beautiful. Mm, like what? Um, I think of one of the ladies, she brought a little doll. And I said, what's this doll? She's like, it represents me. Because of all the trauma I went through was when I was six years old. And sometimes in every, I, I need to learn how to love that six-year-old girl. And so this doll represents mm. some days I'm six. And I need to realize, and I need to embrace that. I need to play. I need to allow myself to be six. And she brought a little um, gargoyle. She's like, sometimes I feel like those demons. It's a demon day. Hmm. That's my story. Learn more about Jessica and find a link to the Hojo Project on our website. You'll love what you see. Jessica and I are planning a mini Hojo event at the next Bloom Retreat in September. So for those of you who are registered, here's a small glimpse of some of the cool stuff we'll do. Learn more about the retreat on our website. At the bottom of our website, there's a link that says Retreats. Your iTunes reviews and emails and suggestions are so great to read. Keep them coming so we can keep Love Rice alive. Also, just as a small bonus, I thought y'all might like to hear the full bit of William Goldman's Princess Bride, where Buttercup comes out of her room after grieving Wesley's death from the dread pirate Roberts. And when she at last came out, her eyes were dry. Her parents stared up from their silent breakfast at her. They both started to rise, but she put her hand out and stopped them. I can care for myself, please. As she set about getting some food, they watched her closely. In point of fact, she never looked so well. She had entered her room as just an impossibly lovely girl. The woman who emerged was a trifle thinner, a great deal wiser, and an ocean sadder. 
this one understood the nature of pain, and beneath the glory of her features, there was character and a sure knowledge of suffering. She was 18. She was the most beautiful woman in a hundred years. What do you think of that kitty cat? Okay, go. Girl cat's like the meanest cat in the world. Come on.